Welcome to Living Harmoniously, an ever-expanding revolution of women, embracing their bodies and their extraordinary natural rhythms to enhance all aspects of life. On this episode of Living Harmoniously, we're catching up with an extraordinary woman who has established an extraordinary project that's breaking down barriers, building bridges, as well as tables, and supporting people toward better mental health in a most unusual way. Sophie Wilksh, welcome. Thank you. Good but to be here. Before we get into you specifically and your journey with this fluctuation of having a female endocrine system and how that's played out in your life, mm. can you tell us all about this incredible project, Shedding? Shedding. So my kind of tagline with Shedding is that it's it's not a men's shed, it's not a women's shed, it's a shed for all, all genders um, and all people. Um, and basically, I started it as a carpentry workshop and I had this undercurrent of interest in mental health and I thought I was teaching tools, but actually we're teaching tools as an avenue to positive mental health, resilience, um, empowerment and community connection, really bringing people together. How soon into the inception of shedding did you realise that it wasn't just about teaching carpentry? I think I realized sooner than I realized I realized when those subconscious <laughs> things happen and then you kind of go, oh, I definitely remember a thought of like, oh, like the crazy people come to shedding, like the people with the mental health stuff, they come to shedding, they're attracted to shedding. What's that all about? And then this realization that everyone's got their stuff. It's just that perhaps this is a space where people feel uh, safe to be like, hey, I'm not okay today and to be like cool mm. do you want to screw something together <laughs> you know and just the simplicity of um, how we feel just being allowed to be there it's so interesting to me that this there's this real tactile opportunity that you create for people to be in their hands to create something that they can witness and they can have incredible gratification at the end of the project to mm. see this is what I've created does that align within the mental health journey that you witness from sort of start to end of project? Yeah, yeah. It's a really fascinating it's a really fascinating process watching them come in and because it's kind of they come into the space not thinking I'm going to go through a, a process around my mental health. They think I'm gonna build a table. And what comes up with that, the emotions that come up with that and the things that we're challenged by and the things that we work through and arrive at, they they leave with that feeling, that empowerment that like, oh, I did something, I feel capable. And then they take that feeling back out into the world with them. And what I've realized since our first, since our very first workshop when we started in May 2018, we've had I think about 800 students come through our introductory workshop upskill and I ask every person, we always have a check-in at the start of each workshop, I ask every person how they're feeling and I say, what do you want? Why are you here? What do you want from shedding? And I think 90% of the people talk about confidence. What a powerful thing to see because a lack of confidence means a presence of fear mm. so what you've witnessed is that 
the majority of people are afraid. Yeah. How then in the shedding space do you convert that fear to confidence? Well, the first thing that pops to mind as soon as you ask that question is that we, um, we laugh at it, we shake it up, we play with it. It's really like that curiosity it comes back to, I think of um, our three values. The first, celebrate your mistakes. Um, I make references to, to learning to drive a car, which most, most people I know can do. But the first time you try a reverse parallel park, it's like, oh my God, how do I do this without hitting anything? But to, to bring things that they know, places that they know, things that they know how to do. And to remember the fear that they felt at the start of that and to be like, oh, I've been here before. I know this place. Um, Celebrate your mistakes. Own your tool. So our second value, own your tool, is that the tool is in your hand. I remember feelings of like, I want to kick someone in the shins when they try to show me how to use a tool. They're trying to help me. They take the tool out of my hands and I want to hurt them but they're trying to help me. And it's this real like clash of emotions. And so we keep the tool in their hands and we'll mirror or stand next to them and show them how to use that tool. So that is definitely like, keep it in your hands, hold on to it. The the connection between the brain and the body is so important. Um, And then the last value is completely about emotions. So what you feel is what you create. And this idea that you're an idiot and you're rubbish at this, we're going to take that assumption and gently cradle it and put it at the end of all other assumptions like, I'm tired, I had a rough day, I'm not getting on with my partner, my dog's died. You know, all of these things that affect our emotions that I think as humans we jump, I certainly have jumped very quickly to, I'm not good enough. You're just giving me these memories back to my woodworking class in high school and that just made me really want to burst out out loud laughing because I just have this really clear vision of some of the things that I made and Mm. I was so proud but when I see them in my mind they are almost monstrosities yeah (laughs) but I loved them I was so proud how much hinges on the success of the end result Hmm. for me very little I say to people I don't care what you make I care how you feel and I say to them this is the start this is a stepping stone like the the mistakes are the teachers. Look at them. Look at them with love. Look at them with joy. Um, the the way for me to sit in a place with comfort with my mistakes is when I lose my shame around them. So so take that piece of furniture home, however wobbly and full of character it might be, and just see it as this is a platform to start from and to learn from. And for that reason, we start like with the. We have the upskill introductory workshop and then the construct four-day comprehensive tool training. Um, And we're working with pallets. And so I say to people, the cool thing is when something goes wrong, you grab another pallet. Mm -hmm. So there's this real freedom. There's this real freedom to it. It's not about what you're making. It's about the journey you're going through. And that's what people speak of. They speak of when people say to me, oh, you're Sophie from Shedding. You do the shedding thing. And I say, yes. They say, I've heard so much about you. And I say, what do they say? And they say, oh, it's carpentry workshop and it's all about mental health. And I think, cool, that's where the emphasis lies. You didn't embark on shedding as that, but it's so fascinating that when you start something, 
what it morphs into is simply what it is and you almost have to surrender to that well you mm. do otherwise you're going to be un- in unsuccessful conflict with what you're trying to push and the reality of what the world really needs in that moment what's been a flow back to you as an individual on your own mental health on your own awareness of the world and on your own growth mm. <laughs> A comic, it's sometimes a comical answer to that sort of question. I think about um, the fact that I set up the workshop as a carpentry workshop. I remember prior to doing that, I was meeting with a, a mentor, a very special mentor at the time, and I said, I love carpentry. I want to teach carpentry, but I also think about like stepping out in another direction and studying uh, psychology and counseling. And this person said to me, do the workshop run the workshop, it'll teach you everything about people. It'll teach you everything, you know, like get in there, be in, be in the place of not knowing like the things that I learn from people, the stories that they share with me about their, their trauma and, and grief and pain and stuff around their mental health that I just think, I just sit in front of them in awe actually and I'm just blown away by their stories and how they show up to a space saying cool I'm, I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone and they say I'm really doing this for me this is a day a week that I do this completely for me for me with the workshop um, I get my ego loves it it's great to feel important it's great to feel um, like I just have this real yearning for a sense of purpose if I don't have that I'm the kind of Torian that can't sort of sit on a veranda and meditate on a cushion and just stay there for days in a vipassana sort of meditation I need this purpose and this purpose that is interactive and social and with people and and challenging me and pushing me and confronting parts of myself that I'm also very uncomfortable with um, that I can become more comfortable with and I had it yesterday at the start of the workshop it was the final day of a four-day workshop and I Sometimes before a workshop, I think, oh, feeling a bit, feeling a bit edgy today. I wonder how I'm going to be able to hold this space for these people. And we do our check-in. We go around. There are six or eight of us. We do a check-in. And by the time everyone's done their check-in, I just think, yeah, I'm so here. Like the rest of the world, whatever's going on outside this space, I am so here. And it's a, as much as I like to offer it as a respite for other people, I realized that it offers the same for me and that is yeah it's quite profound it's and also to try and explain to other people is quite unusual because I say oh you know I'm running a carpentry workshop and they think huh, yeah that's what huh, that's what it is but I'm talking about qigong I'm talking about flow I'm talking about body and posture and less about strength and more about intent and movement and like feeling, feel the tool, feel when it's being, when there's resistance, question that, trust your intuition, all of these things that are so deeply related, I think, to, to yoga and meditation and that place of like finding flow state and listen, really, really deeply listening to yourself, which people just don't line up with carpentry. It's that idea, isn't it, that everything is sacred. And in yoga, yoga mm. is in every single action. Yeah. Every single action. Yeah. And everything is sacred. And you're bringing that to that, that space and breaking down a lot of those stereotyped ideas. Yeah. Amongst all of that as well, you as a woman are going to be having your own, you've got your own undercurrent of cycling happening beneath that. Yeah. So you've got 
what's happening with the people who are there, what's the rhythm of your workshops, and then what's the rhythm of you, which is with you every single moment of your life, particularly through the ovulating years. How do you find that weaves into how you show up for other people? Authenticity is something that I try and fall back on in all places, especially when there's like, there is a level of vulnerability or um, triggers of my own that go off, perhaps, um, that I can be like, yep, that's there, that's okay, and try and, it's funny, like the things for me, the things I teach and the things I struggle with, I think, oh, why don't you just go back to your own value set that you just made for this organization? <laughs> like, do you remember that? What are you doing over here, Sophie? Come on, you know these things. You teach it every day. How can I remember that for myself? Um, and I know there are, from my architectural sort of, when I was studying architecture, straight out of school, architecture and being sort of at the computer and you're in an air-conditioned building and then like cut that, go to a building site, rough and ready, on the tools, getting dirty, working in the desert, camping out in a swag and then on the building site, working with blokes for 10 years and not working with a single woman and feeling like I, I'm short and I'm not strong so I need to work twice as hard to be paid the same amount of money and all of the stereotyped stuff that came into that and sort of polluted the thing that I was trying to do with these thoughts of like unworthiness and not being good enough and then trying to to challenge that and work through that um, and coming to a point through a pretty playful attitude with some of the men I worked with and luckily I had some brilliant mentors through that time and coming to a point of I am strong enough and I am good enough and setting up the workshop from that place and then seeing my little triggers that go off. When students rock up, they're often talking about, oh, you know, my dad didn't let me on the tools or my husband says he'll put up that shelf and I've been waiting three months. And all these little, oh, all these little things, they're often from the women I find they're often digs at men. And when there are men in the workshop space, I so appreciate it because the men say, well, I'm a man and I'm expected to do the, put the shelf up. Where, where did that expectation come from women onto me? Or why am I carrying the weight of your experience of men from the past? And it's and we basically try and wipe the slate clean mm, and start fresh. That dialogue that you've just touched on is not very out and open yet, mm. which is what are the expectations that we have as women still on the stereotypes of men of the past? And I imagine... When a partner is saying, the wife is saying to the, to the husband, you need to do this. Why haven't you done this yet? This is the man's job. And mm. then the man has been raised or stands more in a, a modern idea of man that he doesn't have to be familiar with all the tools, must feel very emasculated. That's the word that they use. Men come into the workshop and they say, I don't know how to do these things. And I, I'm, I feel emasculated. And they come into the space and they, it's just the beautiful, the, the most beautiful variety of humans in that space because they're there because they want to challenge that. They want to work away from, from those beliefs um, and they want to work together. And it's a space where we have such a range of genders and ages and cultures 
mashed into the same place where we'll have a non-binary gender and we'll have like an 80 year old um, woman who's like what is non-binary and I think great these are the conversations that I want to happen and it and within that space for me to be able to talk about um, my triggers and challenges and I've said to men in that space when they're watching closely with great you know focus there's a little voice in my head that says this bloke's watching you thinking I could do that better than her what's she faffing around with this for god she doesn't even know how to like I've got that voice in my head and I can say to this man it's the craziest thing but this is what happens in my head Mm. even though I'm standing in this position in front of you as a teacher as a mentor and he's completely engaged yeah with you as a teacher yeah and still the voice is there yeah so deeply interwoven yeah and it and I think that vulnerability like to have that um, openness offers other people the potential for that. And that's where I hear beautiful things where someone might react to the way I'm talking to them about how they're using the drop saw and they can say, oh, your voice reminds me of my mother and I just wanna, I just wanna push you away. And I'm like, yes, tell me about this. <laughs> this is great. Like this is the stuff, this is the juicy stuff that we, we talk about you, you kind of come into the space as you walk through the gate, you have your cloak of life and you hang it at the gate and then you enter into this space. And it's much easier to talk about that cloak when the weight of it isn't on your shoulders in the space. And also some people don't want to talk about it. It's more of a, a metaphorical process where they don't have to directly engage with this is what's happening in my world that I'm struggling with. It comes through in strange and mysterious ways and then I'll get a message from them a couple a couple of weeks later where they're like oh you know that was the craziest experience I know we were just learning how to use jigsaw but it translated in these ways in my external world it just sounds like such a a rich environment to also just be there to listen you could take so much in about so many of the aspects of life that we might be feeling quite baffled about particularly when there's such an onslaught of dialogue around certain things yeah and you can be there and learn about those most polarizing aspects of of life yeah yeah such an incredible space that that you've created your love for carpentry in the beginning where did that begin for you and how was that opened up to be okay for you to step into that space I think when I started to learn the tools it was through a an elective through the university where we were going out to the desert and working um on site within an aboriginal community so there was there was just huge huge layers of learning there for Mm. me about us nice white uni students going in there and like we'll help you guys out we're going to build some nice stuff and them being like what are you doing here and also this process of learning tools with a bunch of students with like 40 of my friends who I've studied with for three years already and that was very multicultural so multicultural and then stepping from that onto the building site and I was like oh actually this is quite different from my first sort of so you really had it from very much what was a known space yeah that enabled you to to be there and then you stepped forth with already some experience Mm. into the world so you weren't taking your first steps onto the job site as an apprentice and the thing is I've never done an apprenticeship I I went straight from that work in the desert doing the elective as a student a few times and then offering to help um, coordinate as a volunteer a few times and then working for the guys that ran that course 
inner design build firm. So we were designing and we were building and I had their tools and I was on site and I said, look, I want to learn everything and I want you to pay me what you think is appropriate. Um, and it was a great, um, I think after coming out of the architecture world of getting a piece of paper that says I can do something and having that as my idea around validation and acknowledgement of my skills, I kind of wanted to shift the other way and have more flexibility and fluidity in my processes of learning. Um, and I look back on those years on site and I learned so much. And I, I also learned that often the stuff that was coming at me where I thought mm, men are like this and men don't like me and all this, I built up this real kind of ooh, gusto kind of teenage, like feel sorry for me sort of thing. Um, but actually I loved it. I loved working with men. I loved that you just kind of get on with it. And um, yeah, I could have a rough day and be like, I'm having a rough day. And they'd be like, do you want a beer? <laughs> Should we go after work? And, <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> and, and seeing their layers sort of peel back as they would um, grow this kind of on-site camaraderie, where at first there's this gusto kind of behavior, and then it would lessen, and then it would drop away. And there was a real kind of like, oh, we're working on the same team. It doesn't need to be a competitive relationship. That always baffled me on site. I, was, I thought, why are we... Why is this feeling competitive when we're on the same team trying to build the same thing? And I think it's just people wanting some sense of like worthiness and validation mm. and needing to show up and puff their chest. And um, yeah, and I was part of that same process. And it's been so nice to kind of shake that up from a different perspective. And then reflecting back on the workshop space. And there are lots of metaphors in there with carpentry and in terms of the workshop as a workshop that uses recycled materials i love making statements around taking a piece of wood um, as this worthless piece of trash and then giving it love and telling it it is worthy of something worthy of something again mm. and some people will hear that's a piece of wood and you fixed it up and now it's nice and some people will hear something much different it's indirect yeah and so it's safe it's mm. not trying to extract you're not there with the hammer trying to pull the nails out yeah it's just happening as part for the course yeah i'm curious about teenage sophie mm -hmm. you know this wild pubescent years we're starting to to thrive into something else you know this transition phase which is just so glorious for all teenagers and often underappreciated in society in general there's often this attempt to try and smooth out what is the very natural teenage process, which is to really combust and from there evolve to start to become the diamonds that we're meant to be. But because it's uncomfortable for others to witness, there's a lot of narrative around repressing the natural mm -hmm. teenage way. How would you describe yourself as a teenager? Reactive. <laughs> it's a very textbook. Dramatic. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> I was telling someone the other day about this because it seems far away. It seemed those teenage years seem far away. And I think I put a lot of uh, humor on it where I think, oh, you know, as, as we do around a lot of teenagers, like, oh, it's, they're just teenager. Like, you know, they're going to be raging. And But I look back on those times and I think um, there was a lot, a sense of like a, a need to rebel against something um coming through a through my architecture degree 
and then having questions about that, having questions about design, about the way we work, about the way we interact, having questions about myself and my family and the history of my upbringing, what I thought to be truth and um, was actually the truth of others and I'm starting to learn my own ideas around that. I remember it being a challenging time in my later teenage years. It was kind of, I was surprised that what I thought would be a challenging time moving from England where I grew up, um, moving to Australia, I remember thinking like that would be the challenge but it was actually like I landed somewhere that felt like home. And I'd been at a, I'd been at a school, a mixed school for girls and boys and came to Australia and went to a school just for girls. And that was actually a total ah, breath of fresh air. I was allowed to try and to be interested in learning and not be teased for that. Yeah, and then through the end of school and exploring into university and I just remember it as like a quite a tumultuous but colourful time. I look back on it and I think how I'm now. I try and work through and read lots of books about emotional intelligence and I see my those feelings of like that anger and rage and frustration And I kind of feel like I'm sitting there watching those things fly at a fan and then watching watching it fly off the fan. And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. And I can have a pretty like centered, calm feeling about it. But also acknowledging like those teenage years, what a great opportunity to express. Sometimes my logical, like I'm very, I can be quite mind orientated where my body is like I want to rage I want to dance I want dance is one for me where it's like the allowance of the expression of those emotions in a space where it's not directed at anyone and it can just be there like art and looking back on those teenage years and thinking oh actually maybe it is a really healthy year healthy um, thing to have the opportunity to express those emotions whereas adults it's like sort of keep everything rein it in now it's time yeah grow up up. I I think about that and I think oh god I don't want to grow up (laughs) and it's not happening I don't think I am growing up (laughs) yeah and I like to be dramatic I like to be expressive I like to have color in my life I remember learning um non-violent communication um from well, at first from YouTube clips from Marshall Rosenberg and then through a number of trainings and then learning mental health first aid um, and those being sort of the foundations to to shedding in terms of how I can communicate with others and how others can communicate with me and how I can sort of translate things that might be like, I hate you. And they're actually trying to say, I'm really stuck and I don't know how to express myself and you're in front of me and I'm I have a capacity to be vulnerable with you right now and it's coming at you. You can say two very different things, but get to kind of the root of it. But I remember years ago, probably five or six years ago, when I started learning um, nonviolent communication, what I did was I was kind of like, peace and love, I'm cool, everything's cruisy. And I actually just went to a passive-aggressive stifling of my emotions where I would tell people that I was, you know, cool and cruisy and 
that was the this mature response but not realizing that there is just this undercurrent of rage that's building more and more with the pressure of it being stifled whereas as a child there is some I don't know there is some freedom to just be like slam the door Mm. just how would you say um, your relationship was with your cycle during those adolescent years I think there wasn't a relationship that I was aware of yeah do you remember your first bleed I remember thinking I was having my first bleed it was a UTI and thinking oh my god this is what it is should it be this painful it's painful every time I'm peeing I'm not sure what's happening and just this I think this is probably a common thing this disconnect with having any knowledge around this and having a relationship with my mum not to blame my mum but I think it's just a conditioned thing of like what's going on like to talk about your genitals for a start I imagine some little frown lines popping up in anyone's parents because it's like oh here we go and since that time like I have I have friends that I um, work with and talk with um, and have conversations around a lot of this stuff and they're doing work in in sexological body work and tantra and, and education around this and I think oh my god if I knew these things then how different my experience would be and I think of my experience now coming to an understanding of my cycle and knowing when to pause and rest and knowing when to rage and dance sometimes it surprises me someone talks about a full moon or a super moon and then I bleed and then I think ah yeah all right and I can I can utilize it actually like rage can be a useful emotion Mm -hmm. and to express it can be really incredibly cathartic and then allow space for a gentleness which I think as a teen I just I mean I didn't learn any of that stuff I don't remember learning any of that stuff. I was like, you've bled now. This is a part that we need to take care of because it requires mm. management for mm-hmm. the way that our system is set up. Yeah. You need to manage this so you can continue to just put one foot in front of the other yeah. during the bleed time. Yeah. And that's it. That's yeah. all we're doing is just yeah. simply managing the bleed for the most part. Now that you're a few decades in since then, what are your little markers that you have as an individual that allow you to see and remind you, oh, right. This is where I'm at in my cycle. I can start to get pretty tetchy at certain times, but also sometimes I get tetchy and I'm looking on the calendar and I'm like, no, you've got no excuse for that right now. (laughs) I'm like, hang on, it's not all down to, it's not all down to the bleed. And each month it will be different. And at each point in each month it will be different. Um, And I have also different, different techniques that can be useful. Sometimes when I'm bleeding and I have pain, actually exercise, like go on site, work it, work it, mm. work it can be really like I'm moving, moving my body and moving my body and it's great. And sometimes I'm like, be on the couch, find something on Netflix. For me, I think it's a little bit of a trial and error thing. Um, I have this sense that the connection between my mind and my body can be far apart to the point that my body is telling my mind something and I'm, I'm a little bit busy or um, I've kind of got, got my blinkers on and I'm not aware. And then my body's like, hey, hey, are you listening? Can you hear me? It starts to shout louder yeah. and louder and louder. Yeah. And this is when we go into disease. Mm. If we're disconnected between mm-hmm. mind and body, we're not listening yeah. to what's required. It'll get 
loud enough yeah. until we can't go on. Yeah. And then and we whether, have to turn the attention to it. Yeah. And I think whether that is the disease, the, the physical disease or the dis-ease, dis-ease of the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and mine is often of the mind and I can feel these little pains and things in my body but it is the mind that speaks so loudly to me um and and for me the bleed it's like it's such a physical it's such a physical thing like oh my god what happens to your body during that time that's really full-on and I think to give it the respect that that it deserves and the whole cycle really it's an incredible it's an incredible thing to be more in tune with that absolutely i mean the bleed is just the obvious component Mm. of the cycle and of course there's a lot happening physically as you've just said physiologically there's now this right this is the letting go we've had this build up build up build up build up yeah now it's it's the it is the shedding it's the internal shedding that's happening (laughs) and uh and then of course it's this brilliant phase that happens as the bleed starts to wane where the cycle recommences Mm. and you're going back into that build up Mm. towards the peak of the mountain at the center of the cycle which is where we have we can have so much energy so much clarity so much creativity so when we have increased awareness of course we can ride those things to their fullest potential Mm. we'll honor when we need to rest and when we do that we have that much more vitality yeah to utilize to create yeah but we can only have that when there's good as you said connection between mind and the body Mm. so would you say that it's something that's that it is on your agenda as a woman growing older is to become more and more attuned to this undercurrent that exists in each moment. What popped straight to mind actually is a exploration that's been more recent and that I have learnt so much from is coming to understand the female body from the perspective of someone that has started to explore the female body. I've been in my history, I've been in relationships with men and until Maybe a year ago, I entered into my first relationship with a woman. Um, And since then, I've discovered so much. (laughs) I've just discovered so much. Like to understand someone else's vagina, someone else's system, someone else's moods. Um, This is, it's kind of the same way I learn at shedding, watching other people's mental health processes and then going, oh, like take that on board. Like... I think there's a lot that that I'm learning from other people around me. And because from... the dance, the dance is no longer internal. Mm. When you're dancing with somebody else, yeah. and you have to dance to their tempo, yeah. to their rhythm, yeah. it's eyes wide open. Yeah. And then when you when you misstep, it becomes that much more apparent than what you can keep just internally when you misstep with yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such an incredible dance. It's such an amazing. Um, process there is so much that I learn especially around just so much shame that's involved I remember as a teen being teased for smelling fishy and I remember just that as if there's anything in the present moment where someone's like what's that smell and it's something fishy somewhere my brain just returns to this like 13 14 year old version of myself and there is a there is a world of triggers in there and thinking about this like and now exploring women at different times through the month the change in smell the taste change in taste the change in moisture the cha- changes in everything i'm learning so much about where i didn't 
have like the intent to explore those parts of myself because mm. I just thought oh here we go got a little tummy pain and there we are that's that thing all right now wait another month the the interest for me to know my own body wasn't that strong and now as I learn that through the body of another I think wow this is amazing this you, is you've just given me this real sort of penny drop moment that's going to seem so obvious but even so strange to say is that in everything that you're saying as a woman exploring another woman is the experience of a man to some degree of exploring a woman but of course not relating it back to the exploration of their own bodies Mm. but still there's that potential in a really really beautiful relationship in a heterosexual relationship where the man knows so much more about his partner's body than her herself. So if that dialogue is there and it's done in such a loving way about moisture, viscosity, change in structure, change in smell, change in taste, all of these things, these then become the subtle indicators for the man and the woman of so precisely Mm. where am I in my cycle? This idea of tuning men so deeply into this very subtle exploration to be able to have this beautiful dialogue with their partner but also to be able to really tune in for themselves where is my partner at in their cycle and from this really juicy way through the love of their vulva yeah through the love of their structure Mm. you know Mm -hmm. this is i think that's a, a missing element in the way that we are communicating with men around the woman's cycle what a beautiful way to stay connected and for me it's been really to discover myself offers more opportunity for someone to understand the mapping of my body and the mapping of my like through the work I did in sexological body work I realized that I felt this choking sensation to even try and express my needs because of well I'd like to put a lot of blame on on movies and romance and novels and the things that you say and the ways you respond that feels so good can you keep rather than like oh I think that's I think my cervix is sticking out of it right now can you find a different (laughs) like I I'm quite uh awkward um I just put my foot in it and for some reason that is something that is loved by the person that I'm currently seeing is that I'll be like oh hang on a sec I know this is supposed to be very romantic but I'm just gonna have to think that hang on hmm, I'm figuring out my body here too and that can be Mm. actually playful incredibly playful and I remember stepping from a relationship with a a man who I had been seeing for seven years um, having a beautiful relationship and a really solid friendship we we came to the mutual agreement that we would separate and we did it through a, a six month process and through that six month process we chose to remove aspects that were tying us together the first was separating bedrooms which I recommend to all couples ever because your bedroom isn't just a place you sleep it's a space you go to be alone um so we separated bedrooms and I remember expressing to him that something that I would like to start exploring is women it's something I hadn't done before And it was really supported by him. So there was this sort of crossover where we separated our um, sexual lives, but we continued to live together and share 
very much this process of what our experience was if I'd go on a date how would he feel oh yeah I do feel jealous actually yeah well fair enough what can you do for yourself to replenish your well-being without me needing to facilitate that for you and for me exploring women there are things that I brought back and shared with him um, around techniques on how to pleasure a woman that I'd share with him he'd share with his new sexual partner which was a woman and I remember one day he said to me my partner would like to thank so and so for a few tidbits of advice and I and I really have this sense that sex is something that there is this spiritual incredible spiritual connection between two people two souls two energies that intertwine but there's also a lot of like bodily stuff that stuff that can be quite clunky and very practical things. Yeah, mm. and weird quirks and desires that I didn't know I had until someone said, "Come on, give it a go." And I thought, oh, "All right then." And then afterwards, I thought, "Oh, all right then." And and to share an education around that, I'm really interested in where we can maintain a level of of respect and honor to what we might share spiritually with a lover in that connection and also where we can receive an education simply from talking to each other Mm. i remember hearing from a male partner about a new partner a new woman he was seeing and that when they had sex and she was bleeding she would take her blood and like smear it over her body in this beautiful sort of ritual ceremony empowered and I just thought oh god I don't know if I could do something like that and it's it's just it just wasn't part of my my go-to of what you do in the bedroom Mm. there was this like you're bleeding sex does not happen now and yeah there's just been a lot of lessons through through all of that I think I've said this every episode so far do feel very lucky to Mm. be a woman to have all of these ways and aspects to view my humanity and beyond that my spirituality how do I get to leverage off my very dynamic female endocrine system for increased progression as a human being and as a spiritual being Sophie it has been just so mind-blowingly awesome to chat with you today and just hear of this just a phenomenal journey that you're on you know, as an individual, and of course, seeing how that's expressed out into the world and just bringing so many people together. Like what I really hear is that whilst you're building, you're actually breaking down barriers. Mm, Yeah. And it's been such a privilege to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was such a delight to be here. If you've got a question, you'd like to suggest a guest or get in contact with myself, Lissy Turner, yoga therapist, or with Talia Minot, holistic nutritionist, www.livinghormoniously.com. Hope you can join me for next episode of Living Harmoniously, the podcast. Mm-hmm.